uh, 1.13 tonight, so I'd go ahead and encourage you to look there as well. You've heard it um, now spoken through once. You, we've sung it together, and uh, what I want to do is I want to do a rereading of it. But as you're there and you're getting there, um, I want to say, man, I am thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful that we are back. Um, I've missed the gathered body of believers on Sunday evenings, and so uh, it's nice uh, to be back. Um, again, I got to tell you, it was, I know a lot of people have been asking again about the Wednesday nights. I told you a little bit about the crazy that happened on Wednesday, but I got to tell you, one of the things that's really encouraged me um, was hearing how multiple people uh, were gathering uh, in their homes um, throughout the week, uh, which was nice. Um, one of the things that we shared was to, uh, just talking about gospel communities and getting that going, and it was already just really encouraging to hear uh, people call on Wednesday night, late Wednesday nights and uh, Thursdays and just say, hey man, we, I just want you to know we gathered with people and it was just incredible. Like I didn't even know that was possible. And I was like, yeah, by God's grace it is. And so uh, we had that opportunity as well to gather with a few of our faith family uh, on Wednesday night. And we had a really special time together, enjoying some good food and some fellowship, a lot of laughter. Uh, we did get a little competitive with some, uh, some card games, uh, which I clearly lost, but uh, we won't talk about that. But anyway, all that to say, coming back to Sunday nights, again, it's, it's just good to be gathered. And so, man, I'm thankful for the opportunity on Sunday nights that we're going to have to be able to study the scriptures together, to be able to teach the scriptures, to sing them, um, but then to be able to pray the scriptures back over us um, here at the end. So I am hoping that what we do on Sunday nights, I'm hoping that this will be a more intimate time uh, for us and a special time for us uh, as a faith family. So again, something I've been looking forward to, praying about, and I've been extremely excited about, and looking forward to the opportunity to seeing other, uh, other members of our faith family, other brothers being before us and, and leading us during this time as well. I think that'll be a special and a powerful time as well. So anyway, jumping into this, we are looking at Psalm 113 tonight. Now, clearly with the opening of Psalm 113, we see the phrase, praise the Lord. Now, I want to go ahead and point this out before we read it, because what we already have with this psalm is it's actually similar to what we've already been reading and discussing uh, with previous psalms that we've talked about, whether you were here when we talked about Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. We talked about how those two psalms were sister psalms, and so really, Psalm 113 would almost be a sister psalm as well, maybe a, a, a cousin psalm, but either way, uh, we know that these are all a part of the same family. Now, what makes Psalm a uh, 113 really interesting is you actually have from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 a group of psalms that are actually known as the Egyptian Hallel, uh, which would have been uh, psalms of pilgrimage, if you will, that would have been sung uh, during the time of festivals, particularly uh, during the time of the Passover. So when you begin to think about Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 and you read these psalms together, what's interesting to note is it is likely that according to custom during the Passover, that when we read Jesus and his final meal at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, with the disciples, it is possible that they would have sang these psalms during their last meal together. Now, again, I'm about 99.9990% confident they weren't singing them in English. However, we can look to these psalms and say, 
these were psalms that were sung during Passover. Chances are these might have been psalms that were sung uh, by Jesus and the apostles as well. So it's just interesting to see that because what we begin to see with these particular psalms um, in our day and in Jesus' day, we not only see how important they are, but we see how these psalms actually serve as a reminder of what God has done. So let's just read Psalm 113 again in its entirety. We're going to read it together and then we're going to break it down section by section and then we'll close out our time and in, in focusing our time in prayer, particularly praying the psalm back over our lives. So here it is, Psalm 113, beginning of verse 1. It says this, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Man, a lot going on here in Psalm 113, a lot of good, a lot of reasons to praise the Lord. Again, we talked a little bit this morning about how our day should begin being reminded of who God is, being reminded of what Jesus Christ has done. Uh, if you're looking for scripture to kind of go along with that time, uh, Psalm 111, Psalm 112, Psalm 113, honestly, 113 to 118, pick one and open your day by reading these psalms, particularly uh, Psalm 113 would be a good one. So let's just break these down if we could for a moment and how we can begin to pray these things back in our life. First of all, I want us to look again at verses one through three, because what we have in verses one through three uh, can be described simply as saying this, the Lord is to be praised. Now, when you look at verse one, we see this word servants. It says, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Now, when you look upon the word servants here, the servants is actually referring to the priest or the Levites, if you will. These are the, the leaders of the church who are being called upon to lead the faithful believers in God to praise his holy name and to then lead them in worship. Now, this is not necessarily a, a calling up of leaders, if you will. Rather, it's more of a calling out of leaders and asking leaders to lead by example. In other words, to be a servant of the Lord, it was not enough to simply be called a leader. Rather, you were to lead and to teach by example as well as um, be willing to lead the faithful to worship. So when we look at this word again, servants here in verse one, we have to realize that as Leaders in the church, and let me define leaders. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about elders. I'm talking about deacons. I'm talking about Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about small group leaders, gospel community leaders, our, our Sunday evening gathering leaders. I'm talking about older generation who should be leading the younger generation at this point. If you fit in any of those categories, then what we have to realize already with verse one is we have to be willing to practice 
what it is that we preach. In other words, like I heard from a, an incredible chaplain in uh, the United States Army, he said this, leaders have to lead from the front. It's not enough to be a teacher. You have to be willing to live it. It's not enough to simply be an elder or a pastor or an older member of the church who's been a part of the church for 40 to 50 years. It's not. You still have to be willing to lead from the front. You see, that's kind of the purpose of why we gather for worships, particularly on Sunday. We gather partially, obviously, because we want to worship God and declare glory to God. But at the same time, a part of the reason why we are called to gather corporately, while we are called to gather collectively, is so that we can encourage and affirm the believers who have gathered with us as well. So you see, for those people who come to us and, and say this, and this happens regularly, when they say, I just want to be a great leader for the Lord. I want to be a great servant of God. If anybody ever says that to you the way they say it to me, then just turn it right back on them and say this, then how are you leading an example in worship? How are you leading the faithful to boldly praise the Lord and declare his name? Now we move from there into verse 2 and we see the phrase, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now let's just pause right there because here, this whole blessed be the name phrase, this is actually a call to praise God again for who he is. That's why we say blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not happy is the name of the Lord. It's, it's praise be to the name of the Lord. So what we have going on here is we are seeing the faithful, not only praising God for who he is, but now they're being called upon to praise him for what he has done. You see, like the faithful in Psalm 113, we need to recognize that we are here, we exist because God allows it. And so we, like the great Exodus, seeing that this is an Egyptian Hillel, we have been redeemed. We have been released from bondage and the bondage of sin and slavery by God because of God. And now as faithful believers in God, we are now following him in obedience. And so he is the one who deserves to be praised. You then move into verse 3 and we see that not only does he deserve to be praised, but we see that we praise him from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. Now again, this phrase, from the rising of the sun to its setting, here is this call to praise God no matter where we are. It's also a call to praise God no matter where God takes us. Even if God takes us to the ends of the earth, this is a calling to praise him wherever he has us. But now notice this about this particular phrase. This is not just a calling to, for us to praise God wherever God takes us. But then notice this is a calling for all believers. Believers from the east to the west are all called to praise God. So in other words, when you begin to look at Psalm 113, particularly in verse 3 right here, you're literally seeing instruction that is being given that really gives us a glimpse or practice notes, if you will, for what is coming once we see prophecy fulfilled in Revelation. 
In other words, this calling of, of praising the Lord from the rising of the sun to its setting, this is the same vision that we have of the great multitude um, from every tribe and every nation and of every tongue coming together to praise the name of the Lord. So here's the practice that ultimately leads to what is to come. Now we move from verses one through three and we get into verses four through six. And in verses four through six, we see that not only is the Lord to be praised, but we see that the Lord is incomparable. You see, when you look at verse four here, it says that he is high above the nations and his glory is above the heavens. You see, when you look at the believers during this time and the nations during this time, we can clearly see historically that in every land and every tribe and each nation, each nation had its own national God. And so what we have here is a calling of the faithful declaring to one another and declaring boldly that God is first and foremost above all else and above all others. In other words, verse four is a declaration that God is the only God, that God is the great God, and it is God alone, the Judeo-Christian God, who is the one who deserves all our praise. Not these other national gods, not these other idols that may come into our life. You see, that's something that we need to pay attention to today in particular because even in our great nation, which honestly, if you've ever ventured out of our country, trust me, you will be ready to come back to the United States, okay? No other countries do it as well as we do, all right? We, yes, we are a hot mess, but man, there are things that we have that other places don't have, and I am thankful for it, okay? But here's the reality, is even in our great nation, we have moments where we put idols before God, we create our own national idols. We see this happen when churches lose sight of focusing on the word, when they lose sight on faithfully proclaiming the word and they, they go after too many social justice issues or they begin chasing a, a feel-good God or perhaps a God that fits them into a particular category. Well, you're like this on this particular scale, therefore you interact with these people well, but these people you don't. You see, when we begin to lose sight of the word of God, that's when we get to a point where we run the risk of placing idols above our God. And those idols will become like the Israelites' idols. They will become national gods. And so we have to be careful of that. Now, why is it so important to acknowledge that God is high above the nations and he is high and his glory is above the heavens? Well, you get into verse five and six and you see that answer. It says, who is like the, the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He, excuse me, I'm gonna stop there. I won't go into verse seven yet. But when we look upon these verses here, here we have the faithful invoking a question to one another and also to the nations. When they look to the nations and they see all these other national gods, they are literally asking the question, who can even come close to comparing to our God? In other words, here we have the faithful further acknowledging with boldness that there is no one like our God for he is 
incomparable. Now, imagine if we spoke this way in our current culture, or maybe if we prepared ourselves for worship in this regard, or when we came to to pray, or when we come to, to study the word, knowing that when we come, we come before a God who is seated upon his throne, and he alone is incomparable. In other words, God doesn't even fit the standards that we try to put him in. He is just that big. I wonder how that would change our worship. I wonder how that would begin to translate and transition our prayer lives. I wonder how that would begin to manifest itself within our conversations when we realize our God is greater than anything we could imagine. He is greater than our idols. He is greater than our sins. He is greater than our national gods. In fact, we could say, who is like our God? For he is incomparable. Now, we also see this phrase that God looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Again, here's this beautiful picture of of really us and the faithful trying to get a sense of how great God is. In other words, what they're acknowledging here is that God alone transcends all of creation. In other words, God alone goes beyond the range and the scope and the limits of what we believe in all creation. So here's the beauty of that. Oftentimes, I've been hearing a lot of pastors uh, recently, and it's been rather unfortunate. They try to give you a, a visual description of God. And as beautiful as I believe their attempts are of helping paint a picture of who God is, even that human picture pales in comparison to how great our God is. I mean, just think about that for a moment. I remember once... Uh, being a, a young high schooler, new believer. And I remember one of our favorite activities with our students was to sit down and ask our students to draw a picture of what you believe God looks like. And I gotta tell you as a new believer, you know, when you become a new believer, you're just kind of on fire, like everything is serious. Like even the way you eat your ramen noodles is serious all of a sudden. I mean, you almost feel like with every bite you should sing blessed be the name of the Lord or, or something. I mean, just really, you know what I'm talking about? You're just very passionate about the Bible. And I, I still think you should carry that passion with you. Don't lose sight of that passion. But you're just, you're really jazzed up about it. It's not that you're trying to be fake. You're just really pumped up about it. And I remember the, our youth pastor, Pastor Mark, asking us, draw a picture of what you believe God looks like. And he gave us a white piece of paper and a pencil. And I literally took the pencil and just set it down and handed him back the paper. Everybody else was drawing these awesome pictures of rainbows and unicorns, and I don't know, I'm not making that up. I don't know what they were drawing. I mean, they were all drawing cool stuff, I'm sure. And I handed it back to him, and I, I, he said, well, why didn't you draw anything? I said, because here's what I've learned about my God with this new faith, is no matter what I put on this page, it still doesn't even come close to describing who he is. Whatever I put on this piece of paper, it doesn't even come close to touching his glory and what he looks like. And he was like, well, can't you try? And I was like, this is me being the cheeky student. I said, sure, I'll try. And I took the piece of paper back. I went back over to my Bible. I folded the piece of paper up and I handed him my Bible. And he said, what is this? I said, this book does a better job of describing God than I ever will. So you read through it and fill out the page as you see necessary. 
I'm going to go ahead and tell you I did not get my Kool-Aid and cookie that night, all right? So, but anyway, moving on from there. What we have is we have a God that, as you begin to think upon him, yes, we can talk about his characteristics, and yes, we can talk about his attributes, and we praise him for those things. But the reality is, until we are face-to-face with him in glory, we will never, never be able to truly put in the words just the magnificent and the magnificence and the grace and the power that is our God. I mean, look at the picture in Isaiah chapter six, these first few verses where you're just kind of getting a glimpse of God. You're not even getting a a full picture of God with Isaiah there. I mean, the image, the glory of God is in this temple. And what does it do to Isaiah? It drives him to his face to say, woe to me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I'm living among an unclean people. And that was just getting a a snapshot of the glory of God. We serve a massive, big God, and yet this God still makes time for us. Now, watch what happens here. We get into verse 7 through 9. So already, verses 1 through 6, we've set this incredibly big picture of who God is and why he deserves to be praised. We've talked about how it is God alone who is incomparable. And then notice what happens here in verses seven through nine. Now we are praising the Lord for his deliverance. Now, if you look at these verses in verse seven through nine, again, if you're one of those people who takes notes in your Bible or your Bible's on your phone, I would say highlight or circle the following words. You see the words raises, the word lifts, and then the word gives. You see, so let's read this together. It says in verse seven, he raises the poor from the dust. Second half of verse 7, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren women a home, making her the joyous mother of children, and praise the Lord. Now, these words are important uh, because what these words actually do for us is they're actually showing us how God delivers his people and ultimately reverses their circumstances. You see, God raises the poor and needy to the status of a prince. In other words, the afflicted and the oppressed will ultimately receive honor from our God. Now, let me add a caveat here. That honor may not look like what we hope it to be. Okay? If we find ourselves in situations where we are being oppressed, or let's say we find ourselves becoming a church in a culture that's becoming more and more secular to now we are all of a sudden an oppressed church in the United States. We may not see that deliverance in our earthly lifetime, however, there will come a time in glory where we will receive honor from our God for being faithful to his call. Now notice what happens next. We see this incredible word picture here about these barren women. It says that, and he gives barren women a home, making her a joyous mother of children. Now, these are actually interesting words here because you see for, you gotta, you gotta understand this in the, in the context of the way it's being written. You see, for women in Israel, being a mother was one of the crowning achievements of a woman. 
And so the opposite is true. To, to, be, uh, to be a barren woman, to not have children, would ultimately mean as a woman during Jesus' day, you would have been outcast and you would have been mistreated. You'd have been mistreated by your, your husband. You'd have been mistreated by your own family. You'd have been shunned by your own community within your own tribe. And so what we are seeing by praising the Lord, seeing that God is incomparable, we now see that God even delivers us in those moments. You see, we are seeing through this imagery the goodness of the Lord being extended to the relief of the outcast. You see, here's the reality for us as believers today. Should we be surprised as to what's happening in our world right now? No. Should we be Frustrated or concerned? I don't know. That's your personal preference. But here's the reality. God has a plan for his people. And God will extend relief to the believers because he alone is good. Because he alone will provide for them. Now, there are some scholars right now who would now argue the point that eventually everything will get better, and so we'll leave that alone for another conversation for another day. However, what we can rest in knowing, I'm only saying that because I have a particular person in the room who keeps smirking at me at this point. What we can know is this, is that even when society in the United States gets to a point where Christians are completely outcast, there is still hope for those who believe. Because just as God provided a home to the barren woman, so too has God provided a home for those who are outcasts. You see, in this imagery, we even see that the downtrodden woman, this woman will now know joy because of God at work in her life. So for the faithful, as we read this passage tonight, we can see that the Lord will bless those who are broken. He will bless those who are hurting. Now, notice what happens now. We've now seen that it is the Lord to be praised. It is the Lord who is incomparable. And now we know it is the Lord who will deliver. But then notice how this psalm comes full circle and it concludes the same way it began, by saying the words, praise the Lord. You see, now we can end there because we now have more details on why we are to praise God. We praise him not just because he deserves it, but also because there is no one like him and he is our deliverer. In other words, for the faithful in Christ today, we are now without excuse when it comes to praising the Lord. Because the reality is, irregardless of our circumstances, we have much to be thankful for. And so let's praise the Lord for his goodness, for the fact that he is incomparable, and for the simple truth that he is the one who has delivered us. Praise be the Lord. 
Having said that, here's what I want to do to close out our time, and I recognize we are beginning to draw to a close. I want to spend a few moments in focused prayer. And so here's what we're going to be doing. We're actually going to pray this psalm back into our lives, okay? So I'm going to give you instruction, and then I'm going to give you a particular thing that I want you to begin praying about as we walk through this. So let's just go ahead and pray together, and then I'll get this started, and then I'll give you some instruction as we go. So let's pray. As we pray, we're going to start with praise. God, we praise you. Because you alone deserve our praise. Lord, we will praise you all of our days. No matter where you take us, no matter where we go, Father, we will praise you. Father, we see that just as we will praise you with the rising of the sun to the setting, Father, we know And we pray for the day that the nations will join with us as we praise you. At this time, as you continue to pray, I want you to begin praying for someone who you desire to see praise the name of the Lord. Let's pray together that God would add this person, would add this name to the great multitude of those who will pray and praise him. This is your time. Pray for that person quietly where you are. Lord, we praise you because there is no one like you. Father, we pray now that you would forgive us for placing national idols before you, whether they are idols of a nation, whether they're idols within our own individual lives. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for placing anything ahead of you and before you. At this time, I'm going to ask you right where you are quietly to pray for God to forgive you for what has been placed before him and ahead of him. Ask God to forgive you of that idol and ask him to remove it now.
Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are the God who delivers. We thank you that you have taken us from ash and dust and you have called us your own. We thank you that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. And so, God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you that you are our great deliverer. At this time, I'm going to ask you to pray for two items. One, I want you to praise God for Jesus Christ and the deliverance that he has shown each one of us. And at the same time, again, I'm going to ask you to pray for another person who you are praying for, that that Jesus Christ would pierce their soul and would deliver them from their bondage of sin as well. Lord, we pray that our actions and our lips would be spent in praise to you. We praise you and we bless your name. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. God, we pray that as we move forward, that you would prepare us for worship, prepare our hearts, our minds for worship, whether it be individually or within our families or even corporately. God, we pray that every time we gather with you, may you and you alone be glorified above all else. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we say with the psalmist, praise the Lord. May you be glorified. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for being here this evening. I want to let you know that we still have about 10 more minutes left in this time. So what I want to do, plus with the weather right now, clearly it is lightning and thundering and off and on raining pretty hard right now. So what I want to do is say to you that if you want to spend the next few moments praying, whether by yourself or with people around you or with uh, two or three or four folks, however you want to do it, spend a few moments praying together. Maybe you have a few requests that you want to share, pray over those requests. Um, But either way, close out your time um, together as a part of the family of God and pray that God will continue to fill this place with people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you would close out this time with prayer now, and then once you are done, you are dismissed, and we will see you guys next week. Okay, take care. God bless.